Thank you for calling Gay Wire. Your call is very important to us. Press 1 for fourth wave feminism. Press 2 for a strangely in-depth discussion about where the worms have gone. Press 3 for... You have chosen option 3. Please stay on the line. Peasley coming to you on Gaywire on CJSR 88.5 FM from so-called Edmonton in Treaty 6 territory in Region 4 of the Métis Nation. Pretty tired for 8.50, but I guess with daylight savings time, that's actually 7.50. Hmm. Anyway, some... News for you listeners, Winteruption Fest is soon, starting on March the 27th. Several queer artists will be coming out, which I will share with you at the end of the episode. Be sure to check them out, get some tickets for those shows, it's going to be a blast, and hey, maybe you'll see a member of the Gaywire crew there. Today I spoke with Ulick Ravenello, a Irish pagan here in Edmonton, who spoke to me for our Irish-themed episode today, because I don't know if you knew, but it's St. Paddy's Day, and I don't know if you knew this either, but St. Patrick's Day is the only holiday that falls on a Thursday Unless you want to count, like, the (laughs) celebration of Immaculate Conception or something like that. Which I don't. So here's me and Ulick Ravenello speaking about their belief in Irish paganism right here. Hi, my name is Ulick Ravenello and my pronouns are he, him.
how you doing today? How's it going? Doing pretty good. I, I woke up early and I got a good start to the day. I'm really, really glad that it's all warm out and nice. So yeah, how about you? Uh, the opposite. I was redecorating my room until one o'clock last night. So I got up to, at noon, but I went on the treadmill and had a shower. So I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> Hit that full reset. Love to see it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh so uh we're doing this for the saint patty's day episode uh <laughs> we sure are and i'm more than excited yeah saint patty's day is the only holiday in the entire year of 2022 that falls on a saturday unless we want to do like the celebration of immaculate conception which i don't really want to do <laughs> yeah it's a little more niche of the uh catholic holidays <laughs> yeah um, yeah. so a question that my mom had, uh, when I was telling her about this interview is, are you Irish or do you just claim to be an Irish pagan? <laughs> okay. So I am actually Irish. Um, I am a first generation Canadian, so I'm technically Canadian before all, but Irish, uh, sorry, Irish diaspora is a thing. There's huge waves of Irish immigration out of the country. And so there's huge thriving Irish American, Irish Canadian communities. Um, Irish people exist in loads of places and the culture kind of follows them. And so though there are some distinct differences between like Irish American and like mainland Irish beliefs, um, I am Irish. I'm also part Italian, but that's a whole other can of worms. Uh, but yeah, so I am actually Irish in descent, um, and I'm working on getting my dual citizenship. Oh, sick. Um, <laughs> yeah. What can you tell our audience who might not be familiar about Irish paganism? All right. So first of all, I know that it's one of the more niche uh, brands of paganism. And one of the main things that I think people uh, wouldn't know is that Irish paganism doesn't have a lot of source material. Like the actual paganism that we practice nowadays is actually very, very different from what they probably practiced way back in like the stone through the iron age. Because unfortunately, a lot of our documents were either completely erased or changed to a point where they're completely unrecognizable. So technically what I practice is an actual like Druidry, capital D Druidry. It's more so like reconstructionism, if you will. Uh, what people have done is, we go back and we look through all of these stories and try to put together some kind of cohesive story. But it's very, very tricky because a lot of them have been heavily Christianized, um, the stories at least, and the characters and the figures and whatnot. Um, so yeah, technically Irish paganism, it's very hard to actually practice the old ways, capital O, capital W, and a lot of us have to practice a reconstructionist version of the actual faith. <laughs> and uh, what does that usually entail for you as a person practicing? Like, do you spend a little bit of time uh, each week, you know, just reading an old text and being like, oh, I think this is what that means? So pretty much, yeah. Um, the way that I practice, like, first of all, most brands of paganism are very, very decentralized. There's not like a central dogma or a pope of paganism that we can go to. Um, a lot of it, is carried in personal meaning. And so my actual practical practice, I guess, if you could say, um, it's actually just a lot of historic research into it. A lot of Irish mythology and 
folklore in general is just the history, but a little bit more fantastical. Um, and so the lessons within those stories still hold true. And you can kind of get a sense of what these people were like and how they practiced, how they believed. Um, things about, you know, enjoying the fun parts of, of life and not repressing them. And, you know, uh, every like the beliefs of animism and reincarnation, we kind of know about uh, heavily nature focused, you know, human beings are part of nature. We're not some kind of separate, better, we're just part of it, right? Um, and so a lot of my actual practice is just going through old stories and seeing how it applies to now and taking some of those lessons into the now, um, <laughs> if that makes any sense. That, that makes sense. So can anyone practice paganism, would you say? Yeah, so Irish paganism, along with Norse paganism, is an open practice. Um, and the word pagan itself just refers to anyone that the Romans encountered that were not Christian, not Roman. So it kind of just refers to an entire group of European non-Christian kind of beliefs. And so they're all very, very diverse and very regional. Um, and they are open practices. A lot of the times, like a lot of that folklore still exists today, like the Baba Yaga, for example, like um, most people may not know her by name, but like in the Witcher series, for example, that's got a lot of Polish folklore in it, right? Mm -hmm. um, I guess spoilers for the Witcher, if anyone cares about that. Um, but there's a figure who lives in a house in the woods and like a little with chicken feet and everything. And so she's a figure of, you know, her name in actual folklore is Baba Yaga. And in Irish paganism in my craft, we also have a figure that's like that. And her name is the Kaililach. So, mm -hmm. you know, all of this folklore is just kind of different flavors of each other. And they are very much open and, you know, <laughs> up to the person. And uh, I'm glad you brought up Norse paganism. Are there, is there a lot of overlap between the two? Yeah, so... That's actually one of my favorite things to talk about. Norse and Irish paganism are like very, very close. Um, <laughs> Ireland, historically at this time, like when paganism was kind of, you know, king uh, at the time, Ireland was kind of a weird outlier in Europe. They were a very like welcoming place. Like there was a bunch of small little tribal kind of chiefs that ran the island and the war thing wasn't really big right it was seen as a last resort and again that's reflected in a lot of the uh stories in irish paganism is war is a last resort so when the vikings came over and they did their pillaging or whatever they were like hey uh we could go to ireland but they're all very very good warriors and they're not really warlike anyway and they're kind of more fun to talk and trade with <laughs> so like in my practice as an irish pagan i also read norse runes because the, the runes are found in Ireland as well, because we know that they traded and, you know, practice these kind of divinational methods. Um, so I have like, I can show you actually, uh, I've got my deck here. This is my little tarot deck that's kind of Irish pagan flavored. It's oh. well, Celtic pagan. Right. Um, in it, it's got Irish, uh, sorry, Norse runes. <laughs> so they're very, very interconnected, uh, predominantly just because they're two cultures that were very, very close to each other. So we get a lot of similarities, like, you know how Thor is the like thunder and lightning god with the hammer who like shaped the world? In Irish, uh, in the Irish pantheon, we have this character, I guess you could, you could say, called the Kylilok, and she is very similar. She's got a big hammer, she shaped the world, and is kind of associated with storms and stuff. So there's a lot of thematic overlap in a lot of our stories. Um, and I've always found it really cool. Like I am friends with a lot of Norse pagans and they're very, very good for having like secondary sources and helping you find community and just people to hang out with. And even though they're not Irish pagans themselves or Celtic pagans, um, th they're very accepting people I tend to find and they're always willing to help. <laughs> so that's lovely. 
And that that's a good segue into my next question. Is there a large community of other pagans sitting around? Because I have I have a, a few friends who say that they're pagans, whether or not they're as dedicated as you is yeah. another question. But. Yeah, I mean, there's Easter Christmas Catholics. There could be Easter Christmas pagans, right? <laughs> they exist. They're allowed. <laughs> but yeah, um, I, I would consider there to be... Uh, in the past several years, I know a lot of people have been opening up to non-Christian religions in general. Um, this is a bit of a segue uh, away from that. But like in the early Victorian age, there was a huge boom in spiritualism. And as a history major, it's kind of one of my favorite things to talk about. And there's kind of one happening now too. I think it's some combination of like Christianity kind of falling out of favor and a lot of like the things coming up about the Catholic Church. I think it's a combination of that and we're getting a lot more information about like the stone through the Iron Age. Um, so we're, we're finding a bunch of cool archaeological things about ancient paganism and like we're at a time where there's a whole bunch of information about a whole bunch of like really ancient ways. And so there is a lot of people who are suddenly like I'm pagan and though a lot of them tend to go to Wicca and I'll get a little bit uh, carried away i'll say uh it is exciting i'll give them that it's very exciting finding a new thing um and having it resonate with you so i get that um but the actual like dedicated pagan community is very very it, it's sparse because it is a very individual practice in my opinion um there are covens there are groups of people who will get together and talk about this kind of thing but it seems to be primarily online um there's no like place that I can go to. Like I don't have a church or a mosque that I can attend, right? Um, but I've got several friends in and around the internet just on forums talking about these kinds of things. And when we do feel compelled to talk about them anyway. <laughs> and so do you or any pagans that you know, do they identify as witches or do they do uh, spells or potions yeah. and such there? So this is another favorite thing of mine to talk about because people get really freaked out when they hear the word witch and magic and potion and like spell work and all that. So I like to talk about it as if it's like a practice and not a belief system. So witchcraft itself is a huge definition. There's like, we kind of all have an idea of what witchcraft looks like, but when you get down into it, the specifics is really, really complicated. Um, because every culture, every practice will do it differently, but it's like literally the physical practice of it. So for me, that kind of just looks like literally sitting down and meditating in the morning and in the afternoon. Um, my potions is just kitchen magic. I will be making literal soup. Um, like one of my gods, the Dagda, he's technically the chief god of Irish paganism, one could say. And his whole thing is he's got this never ending cauldron of soup. So like, to me, my practice, my actual witchcraft, quote unquote, um, is very dependent on my belief system. It's like the physical practice of my beliefs. And that's kind of how I define witchcraft because this might get a little spicy, but like even when I was a Catholic, um, a lot of what we did in Catholic mass was ritual. It was witchcraft, um, like transubstantiation, which is the concept of the Eucharist turning into the actual body of Christ. It's all very similar. Like the chanting and the singing and the sitting up and standing down and do this and you know all these prayers like the actual methodology is very very similar and so a lot of pagans that i know sometimes they do the witchcraft portion sometimes they just have the beliefs 
Um, it really depends on the person. I know I like to call myself a witch because that's kind of where it comes from because witch, mage, druid, they're all kind of thematically the same word. I don't feel comfortable calling myself a capital D druid um, because that's like an actual class of people. That was like the original, like this was a group of people specifically. Um, but colloquially, I'm like, yeah, I'm a druid, I'm a witch, I'm a whatever you want to call it. Um, and I know that's pretty common for most people. They'll have either their own terms for it or they're just fine being called a witch, um, even if it's only for the laugh. <laughs> right. And so I think something that we've more discovered in the history of things is that people like doctors and such would be classified as like magicians and witches and such yes. like that. So, absolutely. So yeah, do you have anything to say about that? Oh, absolutely. So I'm not an expert on all types of paganism. It's a huge passion of mine. I studying folklore is my favorite of mine, but like everyone's going to have a slightly different version of this. But I know that in Irish paganism, we have a very specific kind of character archetype, if you will, called the fairy doctor. Um, these are usually people who were taken by the fae, if you will, fairies, what have you, the good folk, the little people. Uh, and they would come back with all of these skills and healing and like magic and whatnot. And like when these people in actuality, like outside of the mysticism, were probably just really good at knowing herbalism and how to heal people and anatomy and these kinds of things. Like in Irish paganism, the Tuatha Dé Danann, which is Gaelic for the skilled people, well, the God people, if you will, sometimes they're referred to as like the skilled people, which is literally like their entire bit. And a lot of these skills were anatomy, healing, philosophy, science. Uh, it's said that necromancy was a thing, but like, I just, you know, CPR could be necromancy if you really try hard enough. So back in the day, like the capital D Druids, we don't know much about them, but we do know that they were some kind of leader, spiritual doctor, healer, some kind of weird mix of these. And it does seem that historically, in pre-Christian Europe anyways, it does seem that a lot of the healing and like doctoring, I guess, uh, tends to be done by people who are also very spiritual in nature um, or like have been given a gift by the other world by some kind of supernatural force. Um, and then when that's interpreted by the Christians who are coming in and recording all of this, because a lot of our stories were oral history, we just told them, right? Or they were on the standing stones. Um, and so the Christians came and wrote everything down in their own kind of way. And so we kind of, instead of getting, oh, these people like have an intimate knowledge of plants and herbology and anatomy, instead of going, oh yeah, these people are just really, really smart at what they do. And you know, what they will do instead is go, oh, these people have been given power by the devil. So it's, you know, we get all types of different accounts of these these types of things, but for the most part, we're pretty sure that like the druids and the fairy doctor archetype, like a lot of the time you'll see these these people kind of touted as healers or problem solvers <laughs> for the most part, um, whether that's medical or not, they, they problem solve, that's what they do. <laughs> and so if, if like uh, in the day, back in the good old days uh yeah. they were just you know artisans of their craft do you feel that that is somewhat lost in the modern era where people who say that they 
our witches, our pagans, our Wiccans are like, you know, well, if they're not doctors, I'll just say that. Yeah. None of none of my friends who are Wiccans or pagans are doctors. Yeah. So uh, do, you, do you have anything to say about that? I mean, it's kind of tricky because every brand of paganism will, again, be different. It's, you know, the old favorite theme of mine. Um, and it is tricky because in Irish paganism specifically, like what we're like, we're not necessarily supposed to emulate the gods, but we are supposed to learn things from their stories. Right. And very specifically, they're called the skilled people. They're there to learn, to grow and to like understand the world around them and themselves. And that understanding gives them all types of cool, interesting, fun powers, quote unquote, which is technically the way it's presented is very much just science that we haven't figured out yet. So in the modern day paganism versus ancient paganism, I think ancient paganism was more so about understanding yourself, the world around you, the lessons you can learn from the world around you, that kind of thing. And it's kind of morphed more into like, I'm not going to say superficial because it is very, very meaningful for a lot of people. And that's, you know, <laughs> you can have all the cool altar tools and the shiny rocks and the everything. But I think people kind of tend to get caught up in the, we're the granddaughters of witches you couldn't burn when in reality, those women at Salem and in the European witch trials weren't actually witches. They were just Puritan women living in a society that hated women. <laughs> and ugh. so I think there's a little bit of fantasia around it. Um, but you know, like it's, there's Fantasia around everything. People are always kind of looking for the next cool, interesting, I, I, you know, uh, but what can you do? <laughs> Way of the world. Uh, yeah. Due to like, uh, you know, the program that I'm on, I have to ask, you know, how does queer people come into all of this? So, this is amazing. Uh, I love this question. I knew it was coming. I'm so hype about it because paganism, when put up against something like Christianity or Catholicism, which is what I have experience in, so it's what I'm going to talk about, um, putting paganism next to Christianity and Catholicism is actually like, it's what illustrates this the best for me is that in Catholicism, a lot of the main lessons tend to be if it's fun, repress it. And if if it's like self-expressive or if it's queer shut it down because it's not good because you know all of your natural instincts are evil and you're born gross or whatever and then I was actually listening to one of my favorite podcasts this morning it's literally just called the Irish mythology podcast and it's their episode on St. Patrick's Day and they're talking about a very physical interaction between St. Patrick and uh Crom Cuich, I think his name is it's he's a regional god that doesn't really exist anymore um it's a long story but that confrontation, uh, in that confrontation, St. Patrick is talking about like, you know, um, you guys are savages, you guys don't know what you're doing, you, you live wild and whatever, and it's unrestrained and silly. And then this Irish deity, this Irish idol, essentially in the woods or whatever, responds and is like, you know, we don't repress what is natural. And I think that's a huge theme in Irish paganism is being queer, being gay, being any flavor of not cishet is just fine. Like, we don't have a lot of evidence uh, of anything really to do with the Druids, but there wouldn't, like, from what we know, there wouldn't be any, you know, if any man lay with another man, let him be stoned. Or if he, you know, if a man dresses like a woman, he shall be stoned. Like, there's, there's not really any of that precedent. And a lot of Irish paganism, difference is celebrated. Like, 
having any kind of grandiose, I'm better than someone else because of I, how I am naturally, that's not really a thing. We are as equal as the worms in the dirt. Like it doesn't matter what you are so long as you respect the things around you. And so I think a lot of queer people have found kind of a safe haven in paganism because a lot of it, like a lot of our stories feature queer themes and like it, it feels a lot more wild and free than, you know, a lot of Christianity would have us believe. <laughs> you know, yeah, that sounds about right. That sounds, that sounds right to me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so something that I find interesting that I just thought of, uh, you know, how does the mythology and like the gods and characters and such interact with the world around us? Because, you know, in some of the like, you know, when I'm talking to like when I was talking to my like ex about this or like when I'm talking to my friends about this, it seems a little wishy-washy and kind of yeah. a little Percy, Percy Jackson-esque, if I'm being Yeah, because people are looking for confirmation bias. They're looking for the signs, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. Like, I, I know religion and spirituality and even personal philosophy that's not religious is one of those things that it's a really, really easy route to go into escapism. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's kind of part of why folklore was created. Like you, if you're way back living in the Iron Age and you have no gas lamps and it's cold in the dead of winter and it's dark for however many hours a day, you're going to tell some stories, right? Like escapism is part of folklore and part of spirituality, but sometimes people do get a little Percy Jackson with it. Um, not necessarily saying that's a bad thing. Sometimes it's a Percy Jack Jackson type of day. Um, but as far as like their actual effect on the world and that kind of realm looking for signs, it's going to be different depending on who you ask. I personally don't really, the, the deities and characters that I work with in my practice, I don't necessarily believe that they have much influence on the world around me because unlike Christianity, a lot of pagan gods they're not all powerful. They're never touted as all powerful. They're not touted as perfect. They're not touted as anything like that. And so I don't necessarily believe that they have much of an impact. I think it's less about asking gods to do your bidding and more so what you can learn under their tutelage. <laughs> um, like the effects, like it's hard to explain, but I, I don't think that like, you know, oh, I'll, I'll pray for a sign and I'll get a sign. I, I Sometimes you just give yourself the sign that you need, but I do believe that in some kind of way, um, when you learn about the deities, when you read their stories, when you think about how it interacts and what you learn from them, I think that impact on yourself is a big enough impact to prove its legitimacy. Like when I went into paganism and I started learning about all of this, I'm a skeptic. That's one of the main things I like about myself is that I'm always going, what if this isn't true? What if I'm wrong? Um, and paganism really, really accepts and encourages that. It, it asks you to search for that truth. Um, and I think that the truth of the matter is that if it impacts you on a personal level, that's kind of all, all you need <laughs> for it to be decent and true. I can definitely get behind that. Yeah, that makes sense. That yeah. resonates with me. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, also a little wish-washy, but you know, when is it not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what are what's your opinion on astrology? 
Oh, I think it's really interesting. Um, I think of astrology the same way I think of karma by way of, I think it's something that new age white people have bastardized so far past what its actual original meaning is. Um, I think the agent, ancient Egyptians came up with astrology and they figured out how to read the stars. Um, and like, I don't really think that what stars you're born under affects anything about your personality. I think it's more the environment you grow up in with the beliefs you're surrounded by. Um, I think astrology is fun. I think it's really silly. And it's one of those ways that you can gain some self-insight. When you read your horoscope, you're like, oh, I vibe with that or I don't vibe with that. And even just that act alone will tell you stuff about yourself. So technically, in some kind of way, it works. But it's the same way I think about tarot, uh, like reading cards. I've been reading cards for over a decade now. And I do so completely detached from my spirituality. Like I don't cold or hot read people. I don't do that. I just think it works via empathy and like being able to connect with people on some kind of spiritual level. Ooh, you know, we're all connected some something hippy dippy like that. Um, whether you call it empathy or like my soul is connecting to your soul doesn't really matter. Um, I think even just doing that activity, like looking into astrology or looking into cards and then seeing how you react to those messages will tell you a lot more about yourself than the actual message itself. I, I couldn't agree more. You know, it is so yeah. refreshing to hear right? somebody else. Yeah. I was I was just talking with my friend last night about how annoying it is uh, some of my other friends talking about how much they love crystals and the energy coming off of them and I'm like yeah, like not gonna lie I've got several cool uh crystals as yeah, well but I've, just because got, they're pretty I've got <laughs> stones kicking around yeah like what do I got I got yeah this, this baby here I'm saying yeah and on like, some level I'm a very similar way because like in my belief I'm an animist which and animism is just very generally like someone who believes that everything has a soul you know hippie did real hippie dippy and so in some kind of way I do believe that crystals have an energy but I also believe that the worms and the dirt and the grass has an energy so it's not necessarily specific <laughs> um I think that, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily need to be consciousness or a soul, but there's something that tells all of us what we are. And chemically, it's DNA. But even for the things that don't have DNA, there's something there. So, and it, that's just a very baseline philosophy for, um, for where I'm at, but, you know. <laughs> and then, uh, so what do you think of something like Christian sciences, where they try to meld you know, they try to meld this side of things with this side of things to try and, you know, meet in the middle somewhere. Yeah, I think overall, um, Christianity was not built to go with the natural order. Definitely. Like, and I use natural order as like capital N, capital O, the way that things are in general. And Christianity itself tends to ask, especially human people, to repress very normal human things. Um, it, like, I, I don't want to say anything to, like, hurt anyone's feelings, but, like, the concept of, uh, like, defeating death, which is, like, one of the main natural order orders, if you will, like, 
people dying and then staying dead and then their energy getting recycled into something else is how it's supposed to go. Their entire story is built off of that to prove how strong that their God is, right? We can conquer death, which is good for them, but like the whole dogma seems to be built around going against what is naturally there because what is naturally there is sinful, evil, dirty, whatever. Original sin, we're all gross, you know, yada, yada. Whereas in paganism, it takes what it, what we observe and then it tries to explain that. So it's very much, it's working with the natural order and not against it. Um, like, it's hard to explain, but like, it, for example, the wild hunt, it's, it's a concept that exists in several different types of folklore. And it literally is, it, the only reason that lore exists is because in the dead of winter, in the dead of night, like the actual wind howling through the trees or whatever, it, A, that's a very dangerous scenario to be out in the woods, and B, it can sound like hoofbeats. It sounds like the wind and whatever and trees. And <laughs> so the wild hunt exists kind of as both a warning and an explanation for phenomena that exists and that is there. And even though the folklore, the stories that we tell are all from our perspective as human people, and so we know that they're not going to be entirely accurate. We know that we only see what we see and we're just going to explain the rest away however however we can. Whereas in Christianity, it tends to be, they look at how the world is and then kind of decide to just deny it. <laughs> they say, oh, you know, human beings are nasty, evil, awful, garbage from the, you know, original sin. Um, and the only way to fix it is through human sacrifice which is a little extreme to me. Um, I don't think people are naturally awful or anything like that. I think people are just a product of wherever they were raised, right? And how they were raised. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think, yeah. <laughs> Christianity itself just kind of goes against that natural order and paganism kind of seeks to explain what already exists mm. instead of denying its existence and or demonizing its existence is I think the word I'm going for. <laughs> yeah 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 like uh did god create the universe or was it the big bang you know pick a side here guys um, yeah literally and then, i know uh, my, my very catholic dad used to say that it was god's voice who caused the big bang so there's that <laughs> as well sure um it's really interesting <laughs> um so that you know i'm just coming up with things on the fly here uh Go what's your it. stance on evolution so evolution, I'm pretty on board with how science is down to clown with evolution. Like okay. I'm not a scientist. I don't know shit all about biology. I'm an arts major, sue me. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely believe in evolution, both on a long and short kind of scale, um, especially like this, the, the evidence of it that you can actually see in your body. Like if you touch your pinky and your thumb together, that little tendon in the middle, that's like useless. Uh, some people have it, some people don't. Um, but if you touch them together and then look at your wrist, uh, if there's a tendon in the middle, that's actually something that we evolved out of needing um, because we used to have to like throw spears and shit. So it just kind of helps the grip strength, but it does nothing now. So like as a pagan, I'm told to look at the evidence and then, you know, go with it. So the evidence is that we've evolved and will continue to do so. We've seen it in the finches. We've seen it in the people. Um so yeah, I'm pretty on board, I think, with the sane side of the argument. <laughs> well, yeah. No, this is a very enlightening conversation. A lot of the things that you're saying 
aligns with a philosophy graphic novel I read a number of years ago where it was yeah it was Aristotle uh showing you uh like going through all the different uh philosophical ideas over the centuries and one thing that he says at the beginning is that you know why are things the way they are and someone else is like well that's an easy answer the answer is god and then you know okay but like where why is that the way it is and so that's kind of like what you're saying where you're looking at reading in between the lines and seeing uh what you're left with absolutely (laughs) it's very interesting to hear about i kind of want to like look that up now (laughs) yeah i don't remember what it was called but it's you know it's a philosophy i can poke around graphic novel yeah (laughs) um yeah okay so a because I think it would be very interesting and b because I don't have a desk and I'm standing up right now and I'm very tired can you tell us a story from Irish paganism (laughs) I sure can try Uh, I think I might actually give you the St. Pat's uh story well Well, one of the ones that's one of my favorites okay you know remain on theme so I'm a great story reader I'm not a great storyteller, Uh, (laughs) but that being said, um, a little bit of context is needed to tell this one properly. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with St. Patrick's Day in general, we're celebrating St. Patrick because he drove all the snakes out of Ireland. Unfortunately, snakes were not actually a thing in Ireland, and snake is just a very, very nice way of saying pagan, because historically, St. Patrick is the one who's kind of credited with Christianizing Ireland even though he didn't really do it himself. And like it was, it started before him and ended after him, but we give him the credit for most of it. Um, so he's kind of become a bit of a patron, patron saint of Ireland at this point, um, mainly because he's the one who Christianized it. And then that's just kind of how it happened. But there's this story that we have, because um, there's, you know how earlier I was talking about how there's not a lot of primary or secondary sources around Irish paganism because a lot of them were Christianized. One of the main examples that we have of that, uh, I think it's called like the tripartite life of, it's it's the life of St. Patrick in three parts. Um, and it's this massive, we think it's ninth century text that's in three different chunks meant to be read over three different days of St. Patrick's festival, right? Because, you know, the Catholic saint festivals are always a blast and totally not based off of the fire festivals or anything like that. Um, no, it's fine. Um, don't even get me started on St. Bridget, literally an Irish pagan god that they turned into a saint. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeesh. So when St. Patrick showed up in Ireland, um, there's this little chunk. It's just like a little kind of side story in that big book of three parts. And it's literally also, it's written in Latin and partially in Irish Gaelic as well. So it's one of the earliest works and most complete works we have. And in that book, we have this little side story of St. Patrick showing up in the island, getting lost in the woods, and then losing a fight to a statue. Um, So essentially what goes on is St. Patrick has recently uh, landed in Ireland, and he's been greeted by the people there and welcomed in, because that tends to be what happens. Uh, The Christian missionaries, like IRL, were actually welcomed in quite hospitably to Ireland. In, in most Irish stories and in folklore, you always got to have biscuits or tea for your visitors. That's, you know, there's been dire consequences for less. Um, so Patrick shows up and he's, you know, on his way to Christianize the nation. Um, and so he's moving suddenly from one town to the other. And to do so, he has to go through the woods, right? Because he's successfully Christianized the one town and now he's got to go through the woods to the next town. 
And so he's going through these woods and he's having a good time. The daytime is lovely, birds chirping, sun's out. Unfortunately, the woods get much scarier when it's dark. And so eventually the story goes on and St. Patrick is stuck alone in the woods at night, which is never a good time to be stuck in the woods, <laughs> frankly. And so he kind of stumbles absentmindedly and he mutters a prayer to himself. Uh, this prayer is actually called like the breastplate of St. Patrick now. You can actually like get it printed out. Um, and he mutters this prayer about like, you know, God's might protect me, God's will teach me, these kinds of things. And he's muttering like this and eventually he stumbles into a stone circle. And I will like to say that the stone circle that I'm talking about and the statue that I'm talking about do actually still exist. Um, I forget the name of the stone itself, but anyway, um, he stumbles upon this stone circle and in the middle of a stone circle, he sees this big stone idol covered in like gold and silver and like really, really pretty. Now, <laughs> I want to point out that traditionally it probably was not covered in gold and silver. A lot of the idols that like the Druids made or carved were out of wood or stone. They were very, very basic. Um, <laughs> it wasn't a very materialistic society. And so it probably was not covered in gold or silver. Um, but anyway, so Patrick comes across this stone and he's like, now what the heck is this? And he goes up to investigate and he finds out that it's actually like an idol of what we're pretty sure is like a local deity. Um, the actual deity, it's like dedicated to is named Kronkruch. I mentioned him earlier in the episode. Um, his name kind of just means like twisted head, twisted spine or bent head, something like that. It's, it's something silly like that. Um, and we're pretty sure that this deity was either completely made up by the Christians who like wrote this story or he was some kind of local deity that had been kind of forgotten to time. But we do know that this stone was there and that apparently St. Patrick was there also. And so they have a little tissy uh, about, you know, what it means to be a good person because St. Patrick recognizes this as like, oh, this is a heathen idol of those gross pagans who do human sacrifice. And he accuses this idol of like having human blood at its feet, right? Like staining the ground around it. And, you know, a big old voice comes out of this stone pillar and it's just like, you know, your God also demands sacrifice. Is, is it not your God who asked Moses to slaughter the bull and Abraham to slaughter his son? Um, and so they have this tizzy and Patrick actually gets quite mad about it um, because he's been challenged. And I don't know if he was just having a bad week or something, but he takes like a little hammer out of his like satchel, his robes. I don't know where they pull things from. And he goes after it. Um, but, you know, some invisible force keeps him away at first and they continue to have this little spat. And so eventually Patrick is like, I will banish you to hell <laughs> because why not? Got to have some drama. And so Patrick starts chanting his little breast, his breastplate of St. Patrick prayer again. It's a song, it's a rosk, which is an Irish word for like a poem that is spell word. Like we call them roscana, right? We just, it's our chanting. It's how you kind of get that focus. So Patrick starts doing this and he does his little Christian magic. And he essentially calls upon the might of his God to send this idol and its 12 friends to hell. And so when he does that, the ground starts to open up and like this stone idol kind of, you see the form of this God kind of come out of it. And he, he just, he goes, you've won this day and your God will rule this land for a number of years in the future, but just know that we will exist in the earth until it is our time again. And so it's kind of sad because the pagan God literally concedes to the Christian one. and as a story itself, it's kind of fun and interesting to see like, cause Patrick was the hero. We defeated the pagan gods, right? Um, but if you look at the actual story, the idol itself is comparing the fact that Christianity and paganism, like at the time were just as barbaric as each other. 
Um, and we were pretty sure the story was just put in there as like a general motif of Pat, like St. Patrick conquers paganism, right? Um, but even looking deeper into it, it's, it's just really interesting to see how they've portrayed it. Um, and the fact that they even let this day, this like pagan deity criticize the Christian God at all is really just interesting to me in general. Um, but yeah, so he essentially ends up opening up the ground and banishing this idol. Um, but these days we actually do still have the remnants of the rock and they're in a museum. I'm gonna see if I can find the name really quick. I have it, I wrote it down. Um, let's see. <laughs> Leave it to me to completely forget the name. Yeah, I can't remember the name of it. Um, but the actual stone does exist uh, in a museum in Ireland. Uh, it, it's been long destroyed. That's where we get Patrick smashing it with a hammer. Um, so it, that whole hammer thing doesn't exist in every retelling, but it is one that we kind of stick with because the stone has been completely obliterated, um, probably just due to weather, but it is a fun story to tell. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's one of my favorite like mini stories in general because it just, it's a direct uh symbol i guess would be the word of saint patrick literally conquering the pagan gods and banishing them to hell or whatever but at the same time it's the pagan gods conceding to the defeat um and accepting the fact that the christian god will probably reign for a great number of years but it, they won't reign forever um and i think that's just a really interesting message to get out of that story especially in a christian piece of literature <laughs> uh. I can only imagine that it must not have been much of a threat to them at the time. It must have been like a famous last words, but who knows? <laughs> I can only imagine at this point. Yeah, well, uh, would you say that you are a part of fulfilling that prophecy in a way? Maybe I'd like to think so. Um, <laughs> I have a feeling they meant it very literally uh, at the time of penmanship. Uh, the actual deity that they that made that quote unquote prophecy, um, we're not even sure it was a real real deity. We just kind of know he exists, uh, sort of in some kind of way. Um, and there's a lot of stories in Irish Reconstructionism uh, where, like, unfortunately, the pagan gods get defeated in a lot of our stories because a lot of our stories are written by Christians, and so there is a lot of the Christians thought they put it down forever. They thought they put the whole pagan thing out of the books and that was it. Um, and so when we kind of, when new Irish pagans kind of inherit these Christian stories, we're kind of picking the Christianity out of them and doing our very best to connect to that. And so a lot of times the morals that we inject into it tend to be, we're going to sleep for now, but it won't be forever. And so that tends to be one of my favorite things about folklore actually is that it takes the shape of who's using it and who's telling it because these days like we have a lot of people connecting to that the gods are sleeping under the earth for now and will come back eventually like the two a day dawn and like uh the god people if you will the original fairies um we call them the she sometimes and she just means the hills the people of the hills they're like the same word and their story ends in them being pushed underground also um and so there's a lot of these stories that i think people resonate with and I'd like to think I'm part of that. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's very much the folklore beginning to shape around the community, building it back up again, which I think is lovely and exactly how it's supposed to go. <laughs> yeah, no, I, th I yeah, that that is lovely. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and then just a few more questions I thought of along the way. So something that we know now with Greek mythology, with like the Greek religion is that it was more cult-based where you would have a group of people who worshiped Dionysus or a group of people who worshiped uh, Art Artemis uh, or et cetera, <laughs> yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Uh, do you know if traditionally that is how Irish paganism was done? Yeah, so Irish paganism, we do know some things and we do know for sure that there was a bunch of little regional deities. Um, one of the best examples we have of this is the fact that like all three of the main rivers are goddesses. Um, so a lot of the deities themselves are very regional and will be worshipped and talked about regionally. Um, so we know that for sure. Um, we also know for sure that there was no central belief system. There was no Pope of Irish, Catholic, uh, of Irish paganism, right? And so from those two facts, we can kind of extrapolate the fact that it was probably cult-based. People would have, we know for a fact that people would have like family or house deities, house mm. fairies even, um, house trolls, that kind of thing. So even though they weren't deities per se, there was brands of folklore that were just kind of very personal that would only be worshipped regionally or by small cults, not cult by way of like brainwashing, scary power kind of things, but in the old kind of definition of like, you know, this is just a small group of people who all practice the same faith, TM, in similar ways. So was it kind of, you know, there'd be church every Sunday for the Irish pagans? Probably not. Um, but was there kind of a shared community of stories that made their way all the way across the country and back again? Probably. So I, I like to think of it as more of a whole bunch of stories. And then depending on who you are, you can kind of pick the canon that you prefer. <laughs> um, so there's one story in which like the River Boyne, for example, uh, is the goddess Bowen. And the goddess Bowen is kind of credited with the creation of Ireland, of the world, of all the knowledge, whatever. We love her to death. She's hilarious. But sometimes she's written as kind of the villain because she goes against um, A, what her husband says, A, what her father, B, what her father says. Uh, and she's kind of disrespectful to some fairies who guard the well. So she's got two different kind of portrayals. One is this kind of villainous character and one kind of as this more virtuous creator of the world, um, a divine act of feminine rebellion, if you will. And I choose to believe that canon because I fuck with that. Um, <laughs> and so it very much is like, there's several different canons. Um, we don't know much about the actual practical worship, unfortunately. We do know that a lot of people threw like a lot of little wooden figurines into lakes, but that's about it. <laughs> But yeah, pretty sure it was more of a non-central collection of stories. <laughs> yeah, just leave a loaf of bread on your windowsill or something. Yeah, yeah. like sometimes, depending on where you are, the fairies prefer milk. Sometimes they prefer cream. Sometimes it's cheese. Like depending on, like I grew up leaving a little brick of cheese above my stovetop, right? Like that's just where you, some people leave stuff for the house trolls and the rafters. Some people leave it like under the stove, that kind of thing, like the methods the exact specifics tend to change but for some reason the fair folk love dairy products like <laughs> i don't know why so many stories about milk going bad cows going bad like cheese in general like i don't know what happened or why the irish back then were obsessed with like dairy products but for some reason if something went wrong with your dairy related endeavors it was probably the fair folk <laughs> 
They got <laughs> which nice kills cow- me they got nice cows over there you know i got family over in jersey and mm, yeah those jersey cows <laughs> they're they're a gorgeous bunch. absolutely but yeah it, the actual traditions will change depending on who you are like when it is and where you're from but you know <laughs> it certainly is it, it offers a lot of diversity at least <laughs> uh yeah i i don't think i have any more questions you know uh screw saint patrick uh yeah go those other guys i can't remember the names of <laughs> those other guys yeah crowley can't pronounce uh who are the oh, people who are the people in irish paganism that we should root for honestly there's a bunch of different tribes in ireland at the time um <laughs> If you want to refer to the catch-all, I would just go the pre-Christian Irish. Mm, Irish. <laughs> it's usually how you can. That's that. T- that tends to be how I uh, describe both the people and the country: <laughs> pre-Christian Ireland, the pre-Christian Irish. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Do you have anything left to say to our audience about, uh, you know, just anything? Oh, geez. Uh, the only thing I can think of is, I know paganism gets a, a pretty bad rap. Uh, a lot of us get touted as like childish immature believing in silly things delusional things and i understand that that's what it looks like from the outside but if you get down into it everyone's spirituality is going to be very strange and very out of the norm that's why we have spirituality um <laughs> like does that mean that it's invalid or not useful or bad i don't think so i think folklore and spiritualization uh spiritual philosophy i guess theorizing about these things I think it's a harmless thing that just kind of helps fill the time. Um, and if the Christians can walk around believing in the infinite fish God, I think I can walk around believing in the infinite soup God. Amen <laughs> to that. Amen Literally. to that. All right. That's a good note to end on. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for coming on. <laughs> no problem. It was super fun. Ravenello speaking about Irish paganism and Ulick's relationship to it. As stated at the beginning of the episode, I will list off for you some queer artists that will be featured at the Interruption Festival in March and April in your very good city of Edmonton. There will be a drag show on April 3rd with Morgan McMichaels. Strange Breed from Vancouver is an all-gay female band. Gavin Crawford from CBC's Because the News. And local trans-electro artist Pseudo Antigone. Make sure to check out Winterruption's website and follow them on Instagram and wherever else you're on social media.
And that is all the time we have for today. And that is all the time we have for today. Thank you to our guest, Ulick Ravinello. Gaywire is a production of 88.5 FM in so-called Edmonton on Treaty 6 territory and Region 4 of the Métis Nation. We acknowledge all the many First Nation, Métis, and Inuit whose footsteps have marked these lands for centuries, including, but not limited to, the Cree, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, Dene, and Nakota Sioux. We recognize that colonialism is an ongoing and active violence and encourage you to reflect on your own relationship to colonialism and what accountability and growth look like for you and your communities. Give what you can and learn even more. Today's show was produced by myself, Artemis Peasley, Shana Giles, Jao Victor Krieger, Ash Linda, Terrence Adams, Livia McRobbie, and Afwa Ast. Asantoa. Follow Gaywire on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download podcasts. You can find us online at gaywire.transistor.fm and on Facebook and Twitter at Gaywire or at GaywireCJSR on Instagram and TikTok. Let us know what you think of the show, hit up the DMs sometime, or if you'd rather be fancy, you can also email gaywire at cjsr.com. And you never know, you might just get to be a part of the show. Our artwork is by Travis Erickson, original music by Doug Hoyer and Catherine Hiltz. Until next week, keep it breezy and... Please stay on the line.